0: So that's where we've been last week, this week, and next week. We are looking at some popular phrases that people attribute to Christianity, that people think these are Christian ways of thinking, that might not actually be that. It might not only not be Christian, but sometimes we attribute things to the Bible when they're not in there. Um, one of the things I learned quickly, even as a pastor, but just in general as a Christian, is be careful quoting the Bible to just like anybody if you don't know exactly where to, where to find it or exactly what it says. Because I can't tell me how many times either I've said or I've heard someone say, well, in the Bible it says whatever. Because one time somebody goes, yeah, where? I was like, uh, Maccabees? That's one of the books from the Apocrypha. We don't actually have that one in our Bible. It was a joke, sorry. So will you go with me to the book of Luke? We're going to be in chapter 18, just a few verses this morning, 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place in his, hand, his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say... Thanks be to God. Last week, we looked at the idea that everything happens for a reason, which is a very popular Christian phrase, or just a popular phrase in general, but it's not in the Bible anywhere. And we talked about how that might not necessarily be the best way of looking at life. Um, next week, we're going to look at the phrase, um, hate the sin, love the sinner, and talk about why we think that, what that means. Um, but I'm not sure what a lot of people say whenever they say, hey, you just need to get there and preach the gospel. Because it means a lot of different things to different people. Um, I've had my, my grandfather used to tell me that all the time. He's like, you know, you just you got to just preach the gospel. And I don't know if that means like actually preaching just from the four books that account Jesus's lives. Because somebody once said, just preach the gospel, and they got up there and preached from Exodus. And I'm like, that's not the gospel. But I think what they might be saying is the spirit of the gospel, the, the, to know that God is in all things in the Bible and that we can hear and see the movements of God from Genesis to Revelation. And if I were to say I was gonna preach a sermon about the spirit of the gospel, just give up and preach the gospel, it would be this sermon. To me, this is kind of my, I'm so passionate about this specific topic and I'm so inflamed when somebody comes up to me or I hear somebody say, God helps those who help themselves. That is our phrase this morning. It has made it into a lot of popular Christian ideas. Before we jump in, though, I've been recommending a book kind of each week with these. If you want some more further reading, last week was a, 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 a reaffirmation of a book I'd recommended previously, Kate Bowler's Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've loved. It was a really good book. It's very sad. It has some tears tissues. This week, I would recommend, if you want to learn more about this, or just talk more or read more, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Yes, that is a weird title, I know. But it is, other than the Bible, my favorite book of all time. The, the, the book I recommend the most, or, or I've given the most, um, is The Ragamuffin Gospel. And so I would recommend, if you want to, if you like what we're talking about today, if this kind of strikes at your heartstrings and, and resonates with you, I would recommend checking that book out. But as we get ready to jump into our sermon this morning, our subject to me, this egregious manifestation of pseudo-Christian beliefs of God helps those who help themselves, I, I would ask that um, if I get a little too excited, actually, no, I'm just gonna get too excited. I'm just to let you know. <laughs> I was gonna the, all right, so we pray with me and let's jump in. Lord, thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost, like, like really lost? Like I get lost a lot. And I, as as I've you know said many times, driving directions not my strong suit. I had to put a GPS just to get to a meeting in Mobile. I've lived here for almost a year now, but on Thursday I went to a meeting and I had to have the GPS on. I'm just saying I, I get lost a lot. Brianna always laughs about the fact that I'll get off the interstate and get back on it the way we came from. Like that's just kind of my life. But but because of GPS and because of cell phones, I don't think we find ourselves lost as much as we used to. Because the main way we found ourselves lost typically was trying to get somewhere, right? But have you ever been like really like lost to the point like where you're like scared? Maybe it was you were driving before GPS, before MapQuest, before you printed off the MapQuest and you didn't have a map in your car, and you're like I'm somewhere in the middle of this place and I have no. It. Maybe it was uh, you were in a city by yourself and you're walking around, you didn't ever go. I, I don't know. I was, I was truly lost one time. I, I thought I was at least. I was lost in a way that, um, that I like, I like never forget because of how traumatic it was for me for how scary it was. Cause as a kid, traumatic experiences are definitely blown out of proportion, but then you can't like shake the emotions you felt in that time. So here I am like 18 years later. And I still remember like how scared I was as a little 10 year old boy. See, my dad and I, we went to our farm in Ozark, Ozark, Alabama, it's right above Dothan. And we have some timberland there and, and we have some, um, some plots that we lease out to hunters to, to use. And he and I would go there a lot. I grew up going there, I love that place. I haven't been there like in a year and it's kind of weird. Um, but we would go there all the time. And one time we went, whenever I was about 10, it was just the two of us. And it was like cold, it was like really cold because I remember being able to see my breath. It must've been either Christmas break or Thanksgiving break because I was out of school and um, my dad was working on, on trimming some limbs on some of our timber. It just had his machete. It was out there. We were just hanging out casually. And I had just gotten my first, my first shotgun, a 410, this little, you know, breakneck barrel, single barrel. And I was so excited because I, my dad was going to let me go squirrel hunting. And um, I was very particular, though, about, you know, squirrel hunting in general, about hunting in general because my dad always told me, you know, whatever you kill, you have to eat. And so I had to learn, like, if I'm going to be a hunter, if I'm going to care for the land, you know, this is going to be part of it, right? You don't just kill senselessly, leaves, you know, this is part of it. And I remember he was cleaning the trees, and I, my 4'10", and I was real excited, and this is like the most country story I've ever told, by the way. And um, I'm out there on the farm, 4'10", and I get a little country, my, my southern accent comes out a little bit. And I'm, but I started walking through the trees, and there's no leaves in the trees because it's wintertime, and, and I was walking through, and it was, um, it was real quiet. Only thing you could hear was my dad chopping at the, the limbs and then my footsteps on the leaves. And so I would, I would walk a little ways, and I would stop and listen for squirrels, and I would hear my dad, you know, taking off some limbs, and then I'd walk a little ways, you'd hear my feet rustling, and I'd stop, you could hear my dad hitting, cutting some limbs, and I'd walk a little ways, and I'd stop, and I'd listen, and I'd hear my dad cutting, and then all of a sudden, I heard something running through the trees, and I looked up, and I saw him, and he started running the other way. And so um, I started chasing after him, and which is not something smart. You should not run with a gun. Let's be honest, anybody. That's not gun safety. I was ten years old. I didn't know better. Don't do it. And so I started running, and I started running after the squirrel. And then I was very particular. You know, I have one shot, and I have to reload. I'll probably lose it, and I get all the way. You know, I'm running after the squirrel, and I stop. I get close enough to where I shoot, but I miss. And so I'm like frantic, and I'm a ten year old kid, and so my, my heart is racing. And I and I reload, and I look up, and he's gone. And I'm like trying to catch my breath because it's exhilarating. And at that point in my life, I was eating a lot of bagel bites and cheez-its for my meals. And so, <laughs> like, running running any length at a time was difficult. Like, my 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 wherewithal to be able to withhold and withstand cardiovascular activity was very low. And so I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath. I'm like, oh man, this is so fun. I love being out here. And all of a sudden, I realized something is very different. All of a sudden, I just realized that something is not the way it was just a moment ago. It was like that. I realized, and my daughter, thank you, baby, breaking silence. <laughs> I, um, I realized that in that moment, I could no longer hear my dad cutting limbs. Because that I mean, like, that was, you know, as a 10 year old out here in this land, you know, I, that was kind of how I knew how to get back to where I needed to be, is wherever my dad was. But I couldn't hear him anymore. And I had no idea how far I had to run. And I'm sure it wasn't that far. But as a, like I said, as a 10 year old, I'm like, I don't know where I am. I'm in the middle of these woods. You know, there's a couple hundred acres out there. I did not run a couple hundred acres, trust me. But I made it some distance. I made it far enough to where I was lost. And I turned in circles, and with the leaves all over the ground, I couldn't see how to get back to where I came from. There's no footprints. And I didn't know how long I had been running. In my 10-year-old mind, I've been running for forever, apparently, because I had no idea where to go to get back. I didn't recognize anything where I was. I was just in the middle of the woods in a way that like, you can't get lost anymore if you have a cell phone, right? You can at least figure out something, you text somebody, but like just isolated, completely alone. I was, like, terrified, and so then I started running again, but I didn't know which direction I should be running in. I just started running because I wanted to find my dad, and I started yelling, Dad, 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 and I I was just yelling out, couldn't find him. I started crying, and I was so exhausted. I was so scared. I just sat down. Like, I, I didn't know what else to do. Like, this little kid, just in the woods by himself, didn't know where his dad was, and I just cried. I just, I sat against a tree and I just cried. Lostness is one of the most helpless feelings in the world, right? Like when you are truly lost, have you ever felt truly lost? It's that you just feel helpless. And I think we as, the, as a product of many generations of humanity have decided that we like very little the idea of us not being able to do for ourselves, helplessness is a human experience to be avoided at all costs, is it not? We want to do anything we can to not experience any form of helplessness. As products of the enlightenment, industrial revolution, capitalism, like all the things that like affect us today teach us that we need to be able to do anything we can to not be helpless, to be able to take care of ourselves. And if and if you think about it, it comes up in our mind all the time. We, we like to fix things. It's one of those cliche things we say anymore. I just wish I could just fix that, right? That we could then do something of our own volition to, to fix something around the house or to, to change the oil in our car. I don't do that, but if you do that. If, if you would to fix something with an issue with your child's teacher. I mean, how many times have, have we said that? Or fix some issue in a relationship that just seems like I just need to be able to fix this thing about myself or about us. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. How popular is that phrase? Anything worth doing is worth doing excellently. Or the most cliche of all, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm not saying that these things are fundamentally wrong. It's just funny, like that is kind of one of the overarching lenses through which we see ourselves and the world. Anything we can do to avoid helplessness. How can we get ourselves out of whatever it might be, that is not only the American way, that is the human way. But friends, I have a reality for us to sit with this morning. A reality is very uncomfortable, and that is the fact that helplessness is not the antithesis of humanity. It's actually the essence of humanity. Luke's gospel this morning offers us a very familiar story, a story we all know relatively well, I would guess, about children. There's there's been paintings about this story. There's been hymns about this story. People have told this story any time that we do like a children's moment, let the little children come to me. But have you ever stopped to think about what it means? Why it's there? What's its purpose? What is Luke trying to communicate? Our story this morning is perfectly situated within the gospel narrative for Luke. The fact of where this story is found should give us a clue as to the meaning behind it. Because if you know much about Luke chapter 18, right before this story, we are given a story about a persistent widow and then about a tax collector. And then right after this story, there's a story about the rich young man who wants to know how to inherit eternal life, how to earn eternal life. And then right after that, Jesus heals a blind man. This story is stuck right in between all those other ones. And they all mean something together. When the disciples saw that people were trying to bring little children, babies and children to Jesus, the disciples rebuked the parents, the well-wishing parents, like the disciples, the people who followed Jesus, saw that the parents were trying to bring these kids, these babies and these children and said, don't, do not waste Jesus's time with your kid. I mean, I'm assuming, like, I'm just kind of interjecting. If, you, if they're rebuking them, they're probably saying things like, he has more important things to do than to worry about your kid, about your baby. And when Jesus, when Jesus heard his disciples turning people away, that's when he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to these For centuries, preachers and scholars, we've all thought about this text and written commentary on it. It's very popular. It's not like some surprise story in the Bible. I didn't know that was in the Bible. But oftentimes when we talk about it, the the conversation moves into this, this vein of childlike faith. That's typically if you have faith like a child, if we're naive like a child. And whereas that is not necessarily wrong, I don't know that's what Luke is going for. I don't think that's Luke's point in this story. I don't think it's about having naive faith. I don't even know if it's about innocence and in mindset when it comes to faith. If you've read the rest of the chapter, you remember that these, all these stories have something in common. If you've ever noticed, and much of the other gospel stories as well, the reason that the disciples didn't want Jesus to waste his time with the children is because in Greco-Roman society, there in the first century, and in general throughout much of history, children had no worth. They were of no value because they brought no value to society. Children were helpless. Like widows, they they were a drain on resources because they provided nothing in return. They just consumed and they did not participate in economic growth. They did not participate in helping society um, progress. They did The Children and the widows are often lumped into this group called the tokoi, P-T-O-K-O-I. It's a Greek word that we usually translate as Poor. But poor for Luke did not just mean financial without financial means. It was not just a monetary designation. Poor for Luke was this kind of idea of less than, of of not being worthy, of having no value in society because you bring no value. So children and widows, the society cared very little about them. There were people who were ritually and socially unclean because. They were considered to be poor. People who depended on social welfare. There were the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the beggars, those with physical afflictions, and yes, the widows and the children. These were the ones who had no worth, who had no value. As she just left, for the first time in my life, I have realized that children really are helpless. My, my daughter reminded me from 1.30 to 2.45 this morning that she could not take care of herself. <laughs> While her mother was at work, she said, I need you to feed me and to change my diaper and to be up with me because I don't want to be asleep right now. So she told me all those things in a very specific way. <laughs> Friends, humans, we're not great at like survival on our own, are we? It's kind of amazing. Having a kid has made me realize, like, as a species, I'm amazed we've made it this far. Because babies, like, they need lots of help. They will not survive on their own. They need to be fed. They need to have somebody move them out of the harm's way if harm is coming. If she inflicts herself with wounds from her fingernails on her face, she can't treat those herself. You know, they require us to make sure that we we are giving them a lot of attention. The first week of my daughter's life, she had to have a machine help her breathe. And we have countless examples of why humanity is a very helpless species when we start out. There might truly be no other living thing on this planet more helpless than a child. And yet, and yet it is unto these, Jesus says, that belongs to the kingdom of heaven. It isn't because of their faith. It isn't because of the value they bring to society. It isn't because of their net worth or their good deeds, their, their super faithful devotional lives. It is instead because of that same reality that we work so hard to deny. Jesus says, it is unto these who belong to the kingdom of heaven because they can't help themselves, so God is here for the helpless. It is their helplessness that is also their righteousness. The idea of Jesus helping the helpless is the crux of the gospel. Like, if you want to talk about a gospel message Earlier in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to to their sect, they they were complaining against Jesus. And they said to him, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is why the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, could not be more wrong. The truth is, is, is far greater than that. God, specifically throughout the entire gospel narrative and throughout the entire Bible, is helping those who can't help themselves. That's the gospel message. That in their helplessness, God is at his strongest. He says to the widows, Come and be part of the kingdom. Come, beggars. Come, sinners. Come, tax collectors. Come, children, come and hear and know that you are worthy because I love you. Come and know you are loved not because of anything you have done, but because God's love is greater than anything in our weakness, than any of our helplessness. When people say just preach the gospel, I cannot think of a more gospel thing to preach than the fact that God helps those who can't help themselves. And that is good news. And can I get an amen on that? Amen. Because we, we all know what it's like at different points in time to be helpless, do we not? As I think about this story and about this phrase, the artist Pink recently asked, well, what about us? What about, what about us? What does this have to do with you and me? We're no longer children, even though some of us still act like one. Me, me. We have ways to add value to society now, regardless of our gender or our age. There are things we can do that that socially and economically seem to provide worth. So we're not helpless in the same sense, are we? But there are still many people in our society who are. There are still a a lot of people who are considered poor, tokoy, not just monetarily, but those who are outcasts from society, those who need aid and assistance to survive. And there's so many ways that you and I can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to provide that for others. And we've talked about that in a lot of sermons, and we're gonna talk about that in a lot more sermons because that's kind of what the church is, right? Right? As Abigail Van Buren said, the church is not a museum for the saints, but a hospital for the sinners. And how do we reach out to those who are in need, those who are helpless? But this morning, I want us to to wrap things up in this sermon, actually, by directing our focus inward. We do need to be the church, and we will continue to talk about that, but for just a few moments this morning, I want us to, to think about the fact that we too, are incapable of saving ourselves. There's no one who came to Christ, who came into faith, who experiences salvation, who does it because of anything they did. It's not because of how good you are at praying. It's not as how, because of how great you are at playing in a band. It's not even because your mom and dad brought you and, and they did it for you, so you just got it because of that. There is nothing we can do to earn the love of God. This is the fundamental kind of crux of the gospel. There's nothing that we can, there's no bootstrap picking up high enough that will get us to the point of salvation, freedom, forgiveness on our own. There is a distinct limitedness to what we can do for ourselves. Particularly, When it comes to the freedom and love of God, with God, we are no longer helpless. God is with us and gives us strength, but without God, we truly have nothing. It is only because of God that we figure out the fact that in our own helplessness, God is strongest. How many times in life have we just been kind of walking along, things have been going well. We don't pray as much. We go to church a little, maybe not as faithful as we should. And then something terrible happens and we are just like captain prayer. And we are like the most faithful church attendee. It's in those moments of weakness and helplessness that we recognize that the only place to turn is God. And this is not just like a one time only thing, friends. This is not just, uh, you know, after your, your first encounter with Jesus, once you give your life to Christ, once you profess that you want to be a member of a church, you will no longer be helpless again because all will be well. Life will never be difficult ever again. I think everybody in here can attest to that. Deals fall through. A case doesn't go our way. Our kids rebel. Our crops might not come in the way we want. We lose a patient. Our boss yells at us. Our families become broken, relationships become difficult, it is easy to quickly find ourselves in a state of helplessness, in a state where there's nothing we can do on our own. Sometimes we give in to those temptations that never seem to go away. Sometimes we we treat our family as if they aren't worth our time. I expect that there are a lot of things they remind us all of our own limited nature, of our own humanity, and in that humanity of our own helplessness. You know, I was sitting there in the woods, you know, crying, just like sobbing uncontrollably. And I didn't know where my dad was. I just felt alone. Like I can't explain how like how impactful a feeling of lone, true loneliness can make us feel. Maybe you can identify with that without being in the woods. Maybe you feel like you're just in the woods every day of your life. And I was just sitting there on the tree. I was sitting there on the ground leaning on the tree. And all of a sudden, like, my dad just came and put his hand on my shoulder. I didn't even hear him coming because I was crying so hard. He put his hand on my shoulder and then like I turned around and I hugged them and I lost, I was crying even more and I was like, I didn't even know why I was crying. I was just so happy. I was so scared. It's all those emotions and he picked me up and, and like we, he showed me how to get back. He walked me back to the truck and, and I will never forget the, 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 the feeling of relief by knowing that there was somebody there. By feeling the love just in a hand touch on my shoulder. Thomas Merton once says, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences God's goodness. Every day God is wanting us to experience that goodness. And every day we might feel lost. You might think, well, those who can't help themselves, they are the people without jobs. They are the people without means. They are the people all over the world. That might be true. But those who can't help themselves might also be you. I guarantee it is you. And it is me. Cause we go through seasons where we don't feel worthy, where we don't feel like we're enough. Where we don't feel like that our identity has any value to society. Maybe it's at our job. Maybe it's because of difficult relationships maybe it's because of loneliness i don't know what it is in different seasons for you or what it is right now but we all go through those times you will go through that time maybe you are in that time you know as a preacher they always tell us to lead from our scars not from our wounds because you don't need a preacher getting get over here to just like dumping baggage and being like hey this is you know here's all my problems now amen go away But I do believe in authenticity and transparency and being real with each other and say like, hey, this has been a tough season for for me. You know, as I've not been around to the church as much, as I'm trying trying to be faithful to be with my daughter more and learning this new life and, and, you know, we've had difficulties. And they might not be life-ending difficulties. They might not be the things that are gonna derail everything in my life. But seasons of struggle come in different forms and in different ways. And sometimes they come unexpectedly. But the gospel message is this. God helps those who can't help themselves. And every one of us can't help ourselves. Not on our own. There are things that we do on the path of sanctification that draw us closer to God But the only thing that can bring us full healing and the only thing that brings us the justification, the only thing that brings us the freedom is God. And so there's things going on in your life. I just know it. You are in this room and you're saying, man, this is a tough season. I need to get beyond, I need to be out of this. This is difficult. Or maybe you just got out of it and you're saying, thank God I am feeling more full and knowing that love of God. If I if you hear me say nothing else this morning. You've heard me say it before, but I say it as much as I can. God sees great value in you. God loves you. You are worthy in God's eyes because God's love is so much greater than anything we can bring or provide. You are loved. And that's the gospel message. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the love that you've given us in our lives, that you are calling us and wooing us and offering us grace. We ask that you continue helping us to believe it when you tell us that you love us, to believe it when somebody puts their hands on our shoulders, to believe it when someone tells us that we have value that we have worth, that we are your children, and in that, in our helplessness, you make us righteous. So I ask as we come forward at this table, God, that you forgive us of our sins, free us for joyful obedience, and as we experience the grace here and now, let it compel us to the reality of your love. We give you thanks and praise, now and always. Amen.